Okay, gentlemen, we are live. Good evening. What's up? <laughs> and welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMayo. I'm your host. I'm here with my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What happened to your razor today, man? Is this a new thing? You're going to just... Yeah, I think I'm going to let it grow for a little bit. You may scare away some of our audience, you know? They, they, they're used to the clean This shit. is like the in-between stage. Yeah. Please shave and mark the mayo, not the. Uh... I'm gonna let one of them grow like this long, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna spray it and I'm gonna dry clean it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a phenomenal guest tonight, Bill. You want to do the introductions? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm amazed sometimes when I call some of the people we asked to come on this show, and they almost always say yes. And we have uh, Dr. Stephen Washko tonight, who is a clinical psychologist, and he does a lot of work with the NYPD. And I know him as the uh, suicide prevention doctor, and he's a hell of a lot more than that. But welcome to the show, Dr. Stephen Washko. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. We, did I pronounce your name correctly? Close enough. It's, it's Wachshul, but... Wachshul. Is, yeah. that, is that Russian or Polish? What is it? I think it, it's Polish-Russian. Yeah, it's that whole side wow. of the world. You must hear a lot of Polish jokes then. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Staten Island. I am. I am in the uh, the westerly area, if you're familiar, the North Shore of Staten Island. All right. You guys aren't getting any protesters there tonight? Not so far. Oh, <laughs> They'll stay out of Staten Island if they know what's yeah, going on. They got to pay the toll, man. That's right. <laughs> it's a deterrent. That's right. Rioters don't like the toll, man. <laughs> somewhere. They, somewhere. They somewhere easy is like, you're going to riot. It's not hard for you to riot, you know? Somewhere Soros is sitting there like, okay, for the hotel, yeah, we got it. We got $25 an hour. Wait, $20 for the, no. We'll take a bus so we only have to pay it once. You know? It's it's coming out of your per diem. <laughs> That's what they tell the rioters. You want to go to Staten Island, it's coming out of your per diem. <laughs> it's been pretty quiet out here. It has. Well, that's good. I have to say, yeah. You know, Doc, one of the things I wanted to ask you and uh, all of us, being retired members of this service, we're all very concerned with what's happening uh, to the officers that are on the job right now. And I can't even imagine, I mean, just the stress of dealing what they've been dealing with first COVID and working those crazy tours and being exposed to the virus. Yeah. And now every other day, some massive protests, like, and just the fact that people seem to hate cops these days. How, how do members of the service deal with this? You, you know, it's, it's not just a cliche, but my heart truly breaks for these guys. It does. Um, you know, I'm preaching to the choir when I, when I tell you that cops do this job because they care. They, they really do want to make a difference. They really do want to protect the vulnerable, you know. And it, it's like we, we went to sleep a few months ago, woke up, hit the light switch and we ended up in batshit crazy world yeah. where, where perp behavior is okay and, and cops are the bad guys. And just, you know, just could not make sense of that. Um, I think the one saving grace, but my practice now is probably about 90% law enforcement, private practice, retired and active. And the one thing I keep trying to remind them is, listen, even if there's 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 protesters, New York City has eight and a half million people. So, so you got to keep in mind that the majority of us are law abiding. The majority of us respect you. The majority of us care about you, you know, and, and I keep trying to, to drive that home. But, you know, when you, you put on, pile on the anti-cop rhetoric, the, you know, the pandemic, the limitations, department changes and policies um, and procedures, you get this sense of discontent. The, the cops are just, you know, that I'm working with are, are just discontent. Um, that's why it was in two months, we had over a thousand retire in just wow. two months, you know? How do you, um, how do you get to uh, in contact with the, with the cops, the active members of the service right now that you work with? In terms of referrals? Yeah, like how does that really, how does that work? 
you know, there's, there's a few channels. One is employee assistance unit. They're constantly sending me referrals um, because they know when it comes to true confidentiality, that that's something that I pride myself on to last 40 years. So I get a lot of employee assistance and, uh, you know, Staten Island is small. What do we have? 450,000 people. Um, it's just a lot of word of mouth. You know, one cop will say to another cop, hey, I spoke to Steve. He's okay. He's not going to tell you, you know, lay down on the couch and for 20 years you saw something and now you screwed up over it. He's just going to, you know, he's going to talk to you and, and try to fix and help whatever is going on. So a lot of word of mouth. Um, we just had a shift in CEOs for the precincts, but prior to that shift, a lot of the CEOs were familiar with me as well. So they would chime in and tell someone, hey, why don't you go talk to Steve? Um, a lot of referrals through um, department surgeons and uh, unions. That, that's been mostly it. Who pays the department surgeons refer someone to you without going official through the department? Yes. They can. That's, yes. that's a new thing. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's, that's the cop's biggest nightmare is to be right. outed to the department. And then, you know, he gets rubber guns. He right. can't work overtime. Yeah. You know, the stigma attached to it. Right. And, and it, it, it's not that the person is at that, you know, they're not a danger. They, it just may be somebody they're seeing for, you know, a physical injury or whatever. And they're saying, you know what, this really hurts and it's got me in a bad mood. You know, nothing major, but they'll say, why don't you go talk to Steve? You know? Yeah. Who pays for this? Insurance. Then when the cop comes to, or a, a police officer goes to see a... It, it was GHI. GHI got taken over by Emblem Health. And then Emblem Health carved out the mental health piece of it, the behavioral health to uh, Beacon Health Strategies. So Beacon Health Strategies covers. So and you um, paid enough that it's worth your while to take patients from the department. It's not that much, right? <laughs> it's not that much. Yeah. You know, but you go into this knowing you're not going to become, you know, a mega millionaire, but right. it's more for the mission. It's and, more for uh, the mission. Police officers, they're not allowed to use antidepressants, are they? You know, they are. Um, it really, it really depends on the medicine, depends on who's prescribing it. Um, but today's antidepressants, what the department gets concerned about is reaction time, medications that affect reaction time. Today's newer medicines don't affect reaction time. So, um, and those, those policies are changing in terms of medications. It's becoming much more, the department is much more on board with, with a cop taking medication. Yeah, it's Along those lines, there are other medicines that obviously you can't take. No, but it's if you like, did, it would put you restricted. If you talk to people, it just uh, people out in the public that aren't in the law enforcement business, it seems like every third person is bipolar, tripolar, quadpolar, syncopolar. You know, everyone's got some kind Absolutely. of polar issue, you know. So you would, it would be reasonable. And I was trying to be funny. I hear you. It, would be, it would be reasonable that. You know, one out of every four cops or five cops must be bipolar, right? You, you tend, in this field, you tend to get a flavor of the month. You know, a while ago, everybody had attention deficit. Right. They couldn't pay attention. They had to have attention deficit. My wife well, tells a lot me. Of, go ahead. <laughs> my wife tells me I have that too. <laughs> there's a lot of things that look like attention deficit, but aren't. But that was the label. Bipolar becomes a flavor of the month. Um, you know, it just happens, but I'm, I'm asked all the time, what, what am I seeing with the cops? Is it, you know, mental illness from before they came on or is it job related problems? And, and the issue is that the reality is that there are stress reactions, you know, it could be PTSD, it could be anxiety, it could be some, some sadness that's job related. But I'm also seeing stuff that just wasn't picked up when they first came on that is pretty significant mental illness. So, so you, you get both, you definitely get you know, both. You mentioned that about when you come on, maybe some uh, civilians don't realize this, but prior to coming on the police department, at least the NYPD, you got to pass uh, a psychological, a written psychological exam. Right. And then you have to meet with a clinician. Um, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, but 
we always joked around in the job about how you know so many people made it through the that guy that guy should have failed the psych, you know. <laughs> but the truth is, when you look at us standing on that line and you have some uh some of these uh Gen Z's uh, or uh, millennials screaming at you right in your face, saying they they hope your family dies and your kids get cancer and all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's happening night after night. And these guys, I tell you, man, that test got to work because so far I haven't seen anybody just freaking lose it right. and start letting rounds go and killing everybody that's in front of them. Because yeah. I always think, like, there's got to be one freaking person that's going to freaking lose it. They can't take it no more. And they're just going to start, you know, they have they have a firearm on them. A tremendous amount of restraint with somebody, you know, this close to your face, um, you know, screaming and just amazing amount of restraint. Yeah. I mean, that has to have long-term uh, PTSD effect on you. You know, what we're dealing with more than PTSD is, is we're dealing more with what's called moral injury. That's, that's what we're finding. That um, the values of these cops, their, their morals, their ethics, their beliefs um, are assaulted. What they thought was right is no longer right. What they thought was nice is no longer nice. They, um, they tend to just question everything from, from spirituality to their own existence to um, feeling betrayed. And, and that's that moral, that moral injury. So it's not so much a PTSD from a specific incident. It's just an overall um, assault on their, on their morals. Because it seems like up is down and down is up, and left is right, and right is left. And things that we used to think 100% people will agree we were right, now they don't. This whole Brianna shooting, uh, I mean, they were shot at. They were shot at. How, and that people actually believe they should be charged with murder. I just, I just cannot even wrap my hands around it. I just, you know. But before it even got to that point, there was a $12 million reward. Right, why, why did they pay them? For what reason was that? Don't know. Don't know. It's it's like, you know, it doesn't matter. Thank God for the law. Imagine there was no law. Everything was just done by mob mentality. Yeah. You don't have to imagine that much anymore. Well, yeah. the law still protects you, believe it or not. Yeah, but you're getting to a point right now where you don't have to really use your imagination that much if you want to see lawlessness. It's going on all around the country. What, Like you said. What's up? It's it's down now. And if you're a cop on patrol um, and you have to spend the majority of the, pe uh, the time with people who are or it appears to believe that way every once in a while, I'm sure they get somebody on the side. You know, if they have to work in the cities, telling them, buy them a cup of coffee or say we're on your side. But these days, these days are long. And like you said, there might only be a hundred thousand people protesting, but it looks like everybody in the city is out like there everybody yeah. against you. Right. The the interesting thing about moral injury is that it tends to form a little bit of a cohesiveness in terms of we're all in this together. It's not like, you know, one cop is ostracized and, you know, put to the side. It's 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 the entire, you know, it's the department and, you know, mid-level bosses that really feel the same thing together. Um, so that that's is that bad. The, say it again. Is that bad? No, it's good. It's actually yeah, protective. Yeah, because the, um, you know, I was thinking about the us against them. I would imagine yeah. that a lot of uh, the newer recruits, some of them come on with this idea that, you know, I'm going to change things and I'm going to be different than the cops that, that came before me. And I'm going to do this, that and the other. And they might have won cop of the month and they might have been making a huge difference in their command. And then all of a sudden they have to go to one of these details. Yeah. And somebody's hitting them in the head with a brick. They're cursing at them. They're calling them a piece of shit. And then you're like, yo, no, you don't understand. I'm not, I'm not like these guys. I won cop of the month last month. Yeah. And you do that for a couple of days. You realize this is all I got. Yeah. The, the, yeah. That's, it's us against them. Otherwise, I'm going to get killed out here. So that's where no matter who you are, no matter what you come on before uh, the job, after you go through these things, uh, you know, often enough, you're going to realize it's us against them. Yeah. You Absolutely. know, Zach, there's an expression on the police department. It's probably more true now than it ever has been. But it's always been an expression used to say, a million attaboys don't equal one ah shit. You know, and I <laughs> love that expression because it's so true. You could right. be 
on top of the world one month and do something wrong the next month and go, that guy Cannon's a piece of shit, you know? Right. Yeah. He made and three robberies last month. I don't give a shit. He sucks this month, you know? And and yeah. something real interesting with, with the younger cops, um, we're raised in a generation of approval being performance related, that your value, your self-worth, everything is based on your performance. You know, it's, it's like when I was a kid and they choose up sides, you know, to play in the schoolyard, punch ball or slap ball. I wasn't picked that often. You, you know why? I sucked. I was no good. I could swim real well. I could play football. Certain other things I couldn't do. I had to go home and deal with that. Okay, I, I suck. I got to come up with something else to do. But not today. Not for the last, you know, decade or so. You get your performance trophy. You get your third place, last place ribbon. So they, they've they gotten to the point where they feel their worth is based on performance. And now they enter the, the police force. They're performing, but guess what? They, they're, they're not getting the attaboy. Right. And in fact, they're getting the opposite. Yeah, it's got to be. So it really hits them very hard. Like I'm doing my job. Why? Why? You know? So their yeah. self worth gets assaulted as well. And then, and then I can imagine when you um, when you go back to your friends because a lot of these young officers are the only uh, police officer in their group, or maybe there's another one, but their their friends do something something else for a living. That's right. Now you're going back in that group, and at first you start getting the questions, and then you start getting the whys, and then you start realizing, well, maybe you know I can't hang out with these people anymore because. Uh, you know, it's 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 not helping me, uh, yeah. my confidence level, and I have it's my job, and I don't want to be you know put down or have to answer questions for everybody else, especially you know, you answer questions for people in your own department, but now you're at being asked to answer questions for throughout the the whole country nationwide. What happened mm-hmm. over here? And what happened over there? And yeah. you don't know how they do their policing over there. How are you supposed to answer for that? So, so, I mean, you raise a very good point because that, that pull between, okay, you're my friends. We always get together. We do all this. And now I have to distance myself or I'm uncomfortable in your presence. You know, we, we see that a lot. And an offshoot of that, believe it or not, is um, offices of color. You know, that, that's an emerging problem that I'm seeing in my practice and all of my colleagues are, are bringing up because, what they, they have to do is they're enduring being called a traitor, Uncle Tom, all these, you know, all these really derogatory comments. And on the other side, they hear cops calling the protesters some really bad stuff. So, so they, they, where years ago, it was never an issue. The loyalty was to the badge. Mm-hmm. More and more, it's become, well, badge versus my generational obligations. And, and they're going through a lot of difficulty, um, not being able to say anything. We're seeing yeah. a lot. We're seeing a lot Look, of that because at the, you still got to go to work, right? And you don't really have to go be with your friends. And when you go to work, and these guys, you realize, you know, it's a lot like watching um, Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. What was that bad mother? Remember him? Yeah. Uh, he he. Yeah. You could tell he was a straight up racist, but right. that guy had the big gun, and he had your back. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. when you were on a break, do you remember those scenes? Yeah. Where he was saying all these, you know, using the N-word, all this other stuff, but you realize that, that guy's a good shot, you yeah. know? Right. It's a, it's, it's a weird situation for these guys to, to be in. Yeah. I know it's a paramilitary organization, but these, these kids would have never, a lot of them would have never made it in the military. You know what I'm saying? So they're getting like, really just like a, uh, that real feel of being part of a unit or something like that. But now their their lives are on the line, you know? So there, it is full, full military. You you know, go out tonight. I'm sorry, uh, Doc. Yeah. Some of the recommendations they have now, they always say more training, but the reality is the municipalities don't want to pay for more training. Right. Because also training costs money and training takes the cop off the road. So when they say more, more training, they're full of shit. Yeah. They, don't, they do not want to supply the training and they don't want the cop off the road. And the other thing is what I, that I hear all the time that sort of drives me crazy. Oh, he's a bad cop. No, he wasn't a bad cop. Like the, the cop did with the Brianna shooting. Right. 
he was fired immediately. And now he's indicted. That did that make him a bad cop or was he yeah. put in a real bad situation? Right. No, I agree. Um it was a uh just to get back to what Mark was saying for a second, it was an incident not that long ago on Staten Island where one of our smaller precincts had had a homicide. And um, you know, Comstat that one homicide from zero shoots it, you know, way up. 100%. At, yeah. And and the CO, you know, came in, spoke at spoke at roll call and said, listen, you know, we have to do X, Y, and Z now, you know. And there was a cop at roll call, a young guy raised his hand during roll call, said, excuse me. I said, yeah. He goes, I don't agree with that. <laughs> that was a go talk to Steve referral. Yeah, yeah. And I had him in my office and very compassionately, I said to him, this job is not for you. This, this real, and he did he resigned because it wasn't for him, uh-huh. you know, but um, you know, like you were saying. Say that every day. Say it again. I used to say that every day during roll call, but underneath my breath. <laughs> under, your, <laughs> under your breath, you did, yeah. yeah. I don't agree with that. Right. I don't agree with that. <laughs> One of my detectives used to say, Sarge, I, I'm not going to do it that way. He was on overtime. I say, then go home. <laughs> go home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't want to go home. I'm making 100 an hour. Then shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, you mentioned a couple of things in the, uh, about your sports. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, yeah, you know now our generation, our parents. You know, I, I coach my son's teams and stuff, and uh-huh. now they're suffering from the parents being so hard on them. A lot of these kids, you know, and I'm I'm trying to tell my son. I said, listen, you know, I think you might have had a better because when when I was growing up, the parents never came to the game. But if you dropped the ball, you had all your best friends turn around at the same time and go, "You suck!" <laughs> Holy shit! That's right. You fucking suck. What the hell's the matter with you, man? That's and like right. this, this, this was every day, three games a day, maybe more, you know, and depending on if you sucked in all sports, you were going to hear you suck yeah. all day, every day. Yeah. And, and, and look, how many, how many games could mom and dad come to? Cause they're both working full time. They're both working six, seven days a week sometimes, yeah. you know, it's different. And the other thing I wanted to bring up was, um, you know, Bill and I always talk about this on past shows about, uh, just this idea of maybe having every officer that goes to the academy be assigned a clinician. So just like you're as, uh, assigned um, a district surgeon, you get assigned a clinician. And then this way, you take away the stigmatism from it. You have to go maybe twice a year. Whenever you go to the range, it's part of your uh, protocol. You check in, you say hi. Maybe it's a half hour visit. And then if you need more, according, you can go accordingly, but it doesn't, nobody else knows about it. So what's your opinion on that? Well, I, I think number one is the umbrella issue of confidentiality. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that's not in place, I don't think anything works. Um, so, so that has to be worked out to where it is confidential up to a point. You know, obviously if there is, you know, by law, there's certain things that cannot be confidential. And if that has to be broken, then you let them know ahead of time. But if you promise 100% confidentiality, you're already painting yourself into a corner. So, so you need informed consent. You need true confidentiality explained. The, the department's been wonderful with, with some of their new initiatives along those lines. Um, there, there is one, but, but it's not in place yet, was to have a clinician assigned to each precinct so that they you know, get to be known. Um, almost like a fixture. Oh, you know, there's Steve. I can go talk to him. I, I actually did that on my own with the one-to-one precinct here on Staten Island. Once every few weeks, I pick up two or three dozen bagels, you know, some cream cheese, and I go in. I hang out. I bullshit with people. And, you know, people know me. So, you know, you, you form that relationship where they say, okay, this is not a guy who's going to sit and say, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, how does that make you feel? This is a guy you could just talk to about you know, you just had a fight with your wife or your partner or whatever. Um, so, so I think getting the, the clinicians closer to the cops is absolutely what's needed. Isn't absolutely. it weird that there's going to be people outside the door, though, all day if you go sit in the precinct? I can just imagine a line of like effort for, for every minutia. Like you just, you know, or then you got the people that are just going to stop in there, the house mouse that's going to sit there and talk to you all day anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you learn how to set limits with people, you learn, you know, but, but one thing that's working incredibly well is um, employee assistance unit 
um, and the peer support, the department peer support, where they now have a peer support officer in the precinct, not in the outside agency, but or organization, but um, trained. I don't know if you know Shane Rogers, that group. Um, they Shane. train. What'd you say? Shane Rogers. Yeah, I know Shane. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. he's training. I work. You know, yeah. He's training training cops, and they're precinct based. And what's happening more and more? It's amazing. Those cops will talk to precinct based peers much much quicker than they'll talk to any peer outside of the precinct because hey, I know you, you know, I, I know you. Trust them. But that's that's a real good program, and I'm seeing, you know, a lot of results with it. Doc, I want to ask you something about part of uh, staying mentally healthy is to do things for yourself, right? So they call it self-care. Self-care, right. And during these times of 12-hour tours, no days off and all that type of stuff, it's really pretty damn hard to do things for yourself and even take care of your family. I remember during 9-11, um, they basically told there are no days off, right. doing 12, 14-hour tours. And I remember I was in the 2-3 squad at the time. Uh, Steve Bonanno, God rest his soul, he was the CEO at that time. And yeah. people come into his office and they'd be like, I can't take this anymore. I can't go home. I got kids. I got... He would just hand them a form and they'd look at it with discontinuance of service form. And they were like, I don't want to quit. He goes, get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> he goes, your country, your country was just attacked. I want to hear about your personal problems. Right, right. Oh, they didn't expect that response from him. Uh... Yeah. I mean, you know, we used to think of self-care as this warm fuzzy, you know, get a massage, get a bubble bath, go, you know, wherever you got to go and get things done. Mark gave me a, a loofah swivel. Did he? Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we now know that self-care is life and death. You know, that, that the research is real clear. When you don't practice self-care, your cortisol levels go through the roof, which attacks your kidneys, heart, pancreas, liver, blood pressure, metabolic syndrome, um, hypertension, diabetes, all these things related to lack of self-care. What's the, what's the problem is a couple of things. One, I've never met a retired cop and I've never met an off-duty cop. So it's not like you could toggle it. Okay, I'm off-duty now. I could do it. You know, I'm comfortable. Everything is good. Um, or I'm retired. Everything that happened to me for the past 30 years is gone. That doesn't happen. Um, the other thing is what's called the, the police officer's paradox, which is, you know, again, we have eight and a half million people in the city have a 35,000 control eight and a half million. They do it with a presence. They do it with, with you know, an attitude and they're able to maintain the control for the most part. Right. The problem is you can't turn that off at the end of your tour. So now you go home and maybe you get invited to a barbecue, you know? So, you know, this is like this. I'm not talking to these people. Or you're in a restaurant, your back's to the wall, your head's on a swivel. Yeah. Or at a wedding, what do you do for a living? Really, you ever shoot anybody? Yeah. You know, can I hold your gun? Can yeah. I see? You yeah. know? I do, that's, my, I, that's a joke that I have about, uh, yeah. you know, whenever I go to a party, everybody wants to know if you ever shoot anybody. And you yeah. gotta, if, you did, if you say no, you, you become just the most boring person in the room. Right, right. And, and if you did shoot him, did you just shoot the gun out of their hand or, yeah, in, their, yeah, you know, yeah. or in their leg? And you Bill know? Bill knows all about throwing uh, orders around when he gets... Tell the story about what, the, <laughs> what your wife used to say to you when you came home from work. What? Uh, well, I used to boss, uh, boss, uh, boss around the house when you came home from oh, work. Oh, yeah, she would tell me, like, you're not the sergeant here at home, you know? Yeah. And I would expect her to call me sarge, you know? But yeah. <laughs> it's sergeant to you. It's sergeant to you. Detective Sergeant to you. <laughs> but with the uh, paradox, so now people say, oh, look at this guy. He's quiet. He's aloof. He thinks who he is. So it just reinforces that, that whole idea with it. There's no self-care. So, you know, self-care is incredibly important. And I, and I push it very hard. I remember and, I asked you one time, Doc, and yeah. uh, I asked you, is it okay to go out drinking? And I didn't know what kind of answer you'd give me because yeah. you're a doctor and you're, and you said, yeah, of course it is. As long as you don't do it six nights a week and get hammered every time. Well, of course right. that's okay. I'll, I'll never stand on a soapbox and say, don't you ever drink. Yeah. You know, a glass of wine, a couple of beer, you know, 
That's fine. But you know, some doctor, medical industry, if you go even for a checkup and they're like, how many uh, glasses of wine do you have a night? If you say two, they're ready to uh, enroll you in an Alcoholics Anonymous right. program. I guess it's so ridiculous. Two glasses of wine. Again, that's what's missing in most of this arena is common sense. Common sense seems to be absent in a lot of areas, yeah. but but with self care, it's, it's really engaging in mindless activity. Once once you put a parameter, you know, like time, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the gym for a half hour. That's right. not self care. Self care is I'm gonna go for the gym. Right. I'm gonna go for a walk for 20 minutes. No, I'm gonna go for a walk. That becomes more self care. Um, you know, finding a hobby, thing things that you love to do. My, my self-care is um, I go to white trash auctions in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of the only people with teeth, you know, a full set of teeth when yeah, I go. Yeah. And I just enjoy it. I just have fun being there. I can, it's mindless. It doesn't involve anything. Um, but that's interesting what you just said about um, don't put a time limit. Right. So you don't, okay. So if I'm going to the gym every day before work for my self-care, um, Sometimes I got to rush it, you know, because I got I slept late or I had to take the kids somewhere. But uh, we should. You should how do you fix that solution? I, I mean, look, under certain circumstances, it has to be time limited. It does. You know, you have to be somewhere at a certain time. So anything is better than nothing. You know, going to the gym, getting, you know, taking a walk during the day, just, you know, 10 minutes just to do some mindful meditation, um, you know, just to think about things. What I also tell people to do is, if they can, try to avoid that long vacation plan. You know, much better to plan individual, you know, a couple of days, a couple of nights away. So you have more frequent things to look forward to. You get on the computer, you start to Google some places that look nice. Puts you in a different mindset. Because you do that one long vacation, it's over. You feel like crap when you get back. Yeah. Doesn't really do it. It's a lot of work. You know. Especially if you work with me. <laughs> I, I tell people right before they go on vacation, I'm like, you realize this is the best part, right? As soon as you leave tonight, yeah. you're already on the way back. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's Absolutely. over. Vacation's over. You might as well start planning out your next vacation. This one Absolutely. is over. <laughs> Absolutely. The other thing is, you know, again, gallows humor, dark humor. It's one of the best coping skills there are. It's not meant for civilian ears, but but it's it's something cops should never give up doing. Firefighters do it, doctors do it, nurses do it. You know, again, it's not meant for civilians to hear because it's you know a little bit dark and um, maybe off color. But another important thing to do, it keeps cops from you know it, it lets cops go from job to job to job without leaving their heart at that first DOA and having to go to the next one. So, you know, that's, that's actually part of something, yeah. Um, is, it, is it important to have friends that are outside the police world, you know, people that may be your friends outside of the job, but they're not cops? I, I think it is, but again, the point you raised is you run the risk in today's world of people questioning you and, you know, maybe starting to voice some anti-cop things that you never thought your friends would do. That's yeah. what I'm hearing a lot of. Yeah, there's a lot of that postings. Right, right. You know, I worked with uh, somebody in the police academy in that training unit, as a matter of fact, that I was talking about. Yeah. And now you're seeing all this um, defund the police stuff. Yeah. And they're partaking in it. And meanwhile, we just lost our jobs because of, we got defunded. Right. <laughs> you're basically saying, you know, goodbye to 500 bucks for a day of work every week. You moron. <laughs> you fucking idiot! This is going to be over in in in, in in about a month, a little bit more than a month. That's and then all of a sudden you're still you're still going to be out of work. And which brings up a funny point: you talk about all this training, but that was a unit that I worked in that we basically specialize in how to detect mental illness and how basically how to not shoot um, people who are suffering from a mental right. illness. You know, we, we you, you learned about schizophrenia and dementia. Bipolar. Um, was that with uh, Jimmy Shanahan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was one of his actors. I remember, yeah. So uh, we just got defunded. And the funny yeah. thing is, is like, you know, Bill was talking about training. Uh, people people mentioned more training. 
Uh, a lot of people aren't mentioning training anymore because they just want to defund it. Yeah. You know, and but, yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say the, the training I do, my suicide training, um, two things. One is it's short because you're not going to get a department, like you said before, to give up guys for two, three, four days of training. It's silly, right. you know. Also, I'm not a big fan of, of seminars, conferences, you know, be, because those to me generally seem to be just a venue for people to say, hey, look at me. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've researched. Here, my, you know, it, it's, it's stuff people already know. It, it's not, you know, anything that's going to change the guy sitting next to you in an RMP. So the training I came up with is short, three to four hours, and, and very different than any other training that's out there. You know, so you were saying we about, doing, go, ahead. Go, ahead, Mark, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. How are we doing? I know before all this other shit happened with the uh, COVID and then the riots and everything. Yeah. I remember we were having a bad year as far yes. as suicide. Has that continued or has that? Uh, 20, 2019, we had 10 reported suicides. Um, we never know the true number because retirees are in track. Um, and we also, as, as, good as our investigation skills are, you never know if that single occupant motor vehicle accident was intentional or not. Was that overdose? You know, the one that always gets me is a gun cleaning accident. You know, it's, it's not that easy to shoot yourself when you're cleaning a gun. No, that, that's a suicide. Yeah. So, you know. How about your wife? Is it, that's pretty easy though, right? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you said, you said <laughs> <laughs> when you're cleaning your gun out. <laughs> Not to commit suicide when you clean, but should you like? Well, she's cleaning the gun. That's the. <laughs> so, so we had ten, and across the country we had about two hundred and twenty-eight law enforcement suicides. This year, NYPD three active, three active suicides, and um, one hundred and twenty-five across the country. Is it a true reduction? We don't know. It's too early to tell. Is it some anomaly with the with recording during the pandemic? You know, we, we just don't know enough yet. But um, I happen to be one who didn't jump on the bandwagon that says the suicides are going to skyrocket because of the pandemic and the riots and all that. I think, again, because of this moral injury, the fact that it's us against them, we will have a reduction in suicide. So we're already just a few months out to the end of the year. And you know, praying to God, it, it, it stays this way. Because this, they're working so hard. Maybe it's because they don't have this time to sit around and emote. Not enough time, with too much time with their thoughts, yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're working every single day. They got to be yeah. back. If it's not a 12-hour tour, they can't take right. the day off. Vacation time is hard to get, yeah. you know? So when you're sitting at home with nothing to do in between shifts, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You got three straight days off with nothing but your thoughts. Right. Yeah, about 20, the numbers vary, 20 to 40% of suicides are impulsive or revenge, you know, but, but the others are pretty well planned. You know, revenge, you mean what, against yourself, revenge? No, usually someone else. So you're usually. pissed off at somebody else, but you kill yourself. Yeah. 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 I said, I was, uh, when I was in homicide, uh, we had a 15-year-old kid shoot himself in the stairwell of Taino Towers on the same floor that his girlfriend lived that just broke up with him. I was just like, uh, oh, yeah. my God, dude, you were 15, man. Yeah. You know, it was hor you know, horrible, you know? Yeah. Horrible that yeah I had a 19-year-old girl jump off the, uh, the sixth floor of Manhattan School of Music, I remember. Yeah. And uh, on the, she left um, her phone on the deck where she was still having a conversation with her boyfriend. And, you know, you talk about PTSD and all this stuff, man. That's one thing. I never get that out of my head, man. No. I always remember her shoe. She landed on her feet and her shoe popped. It was, yeah. on, it was on the side there. And uh, I remember, like, going to the hospital and just hearing the, like, the pain she was in, sedated, but just the steady noise of her like that. And eventually she passed. It took her, you know, a couple of days. But she lived for a long time, uh, like three days yeah. after a six-floor jump. But the image it leaves you with is is it's like a Blu-ray DVD. It's it's ingrained. And her parents talking to her parents, and they wouldn't believe it was a suicide, and they got a lawyer. 
um, questioning it. And, you know, we had a note, we had the phone call, we had a conversation with uh, her boyfriend, you know, proving that they were on the phone at the same time talking and he was breaking up with her. They wouldn't have it at all. It wasn't part of their religion. They didn't believe in suicide. And uh, yeah, those, those type of things, it sticks to you. You know, it's you get more, more than a few of those having to deal with that. That's, a, you know, it's a lot to handle. Absolutely. The young ones, yeah. you know, Terrible. and then the guys that you worked with that committed suicide. Yeah, the, that's people, the officers. Really yeah. Doc, we want to also touch upon, um, since we are retired and most of the people that, that we deal with or some of you that watch the show are retired. Sure. That's a big thing too, uh, from the police department. That's the PTSD thing. And it's not talked about that much. Mark did 20 years. I did almost 27. And, you know, we, we've seen, I was in homicide in my last 10. Yeah. Seen some horrendous shit, you know? Yeah. And sometimes those images will just pass through your head. And, you know, it's unplanned. Yeah. I remember once I used to teach at a college. And I remember I was teaching, and I was, it was a, a course in homicide. And I was talking about this case of um, this 13-year-old girl that was murdered. And all of a sudden, I started weeping. And I couldn't stop. And I was just like, you know, I was really embarrassed by it, you know, because here's the tough homicide sergeant that's been to hundreds of murders. And it was totally something unplanned, but it just overcame me. It overcame me. Yeah. And I was like, that's PTSD, you know? You know, PTSD is something we earn. It's not, it's not a weakness in any way, shape, or form. It's something we earn. Look, I, I worked a pile for a year and a half at Ground Zero. I got my PTSD. Yeah. I earned it. That's my purple heart. You know, I saw like, you know, you know, as well as I do things we saw, smelled, heard, you know, we earned it. Yeah. So I never look at it as, as, as a defining characteristic. It's something that I earned. It's something that I have something I'm able to manage. But um, the issue with PTSD is it's not really recognized within the department. That's the problem. The, as the last I heard, um, if you return to work following a critical incident, shooting, RMP accident, the allotted time that you're allowed to have, if you return to work, then by definition, you don't have PTSD. You're not, you're not disabled from it. And look at your evaluations. Not only did you come back to work, you got all fours. So how bad could it be? Um, not long ago, I actually... It's something I'm real proud of. I was able to get a detective three-quarters PTSD um, pension because he had the worst case of PTSD I ever saw. And I went to the Article 2. I testified at the Article 2 hearing. And the psychiatrist knew me because I had testified for you know, a few other cops. And he called me out of the, you know, the room. And he said, listen, he's not going to get it. I said, how can you not get it? This is the worst case of PTSD I've ever seen. He said, he's not going to get it. And he told me why, exactly the reason I gave you. I said, all right, give me a few minutes. Let me think about it. And I went out in the hall. I was walking around, you know, the, the beautiful left rack. I mean, this, this stunning building. That I <laughs> <laughs> Gorgeous building. Gorgeous. It's just amazing. A lot of fun people work there. <laughs> so, I always love when you get the, uh, the drug test. And I, I got one of the first ones they gave when they shaved your legs. You know, when they started taking hair, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, just the waiting room. Your legs, like, get the fuck out of here. Just the waiting room. I mean, I don't know if that was ever, you know. I don't know how you can pass security down there either, man. That's a tough, <laughs> that's a tough staff they got down there. Oh, <laughs> so, so I said to the psychiatrist, you know what? I came back. I said, you know what? You're right. He doesn't have PTSD. He was fine. But what he's got is late onset PTSD. It just came out now. And the psychiatrist said, you know, son of a bitch, that'll work. And he got his three quarters. But and they didn't want to give him that because that opens the floodgates. That's it. For a psychological PTSD. You also, identify the problem. Now you have to do something about it. And also, too, you know, how do you, uh, then there's a mandate between when can a person come back after, okay? And then there's also, uh, well, how many incidents have you been in? You definitely should have PTSD. And if you do, then you shouldn't be on the street anymore because you've had four incidents where somebody could be fine. Right. You know, people handle things differently. We've had a couple of uh, officers on the show here 
that have uh, been involved in police shootings where uh, the perp died. It's amazing to see, you know, the difference between how people handle it, how people yeah. talk about it, um, how they are now as a result of it. Yeah. I mean, some people, it doesn't bother them at all. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. He's referring to this one guy, I won't say his name, but yeah. he had two years on the job and he shot and killed the guy who just killed two people. And he got in a gunfight with the guy. Wow. And when the PBA delegate came to the precinct, he goes, who was just involved in the shooting? The guy goes, I was. And he says, how come you, you, you're so cool? And so he goes, I don't know. I swear to you know. But most yeah. people wouldn't be like that. You know? Different different personality makeup, you know. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't be like that. I'd be pacing yeah. back and forth, you know. Well, I mean, that's also something that, you know, civilians, I could tell you, don't understand that you know shooting somebody is not okay let's go have a beer i just shot some you know right, right. the toll it takes on the officer is enormous enormous right in most cases they think yeah, in, in, in most cases at the end of the barrel you know it's you know rehearsal. right right yeah no, there, there's different uh, people handle it different and also too I, I would imagine it you know how you feel in your own skin about doing it if you felt like you did the right thing if there was a question or if people are doubting you right now, that also makes a big deal too. That makes a big difference if, you know, if you're comfortable with it or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So doc, with the department now, are we better now than we were two years ago? I think so. I, I think some of the efforts are, are really heroic in terms of mental health, um, recognizing it, first of all, recognizing the needs, um, putting the resources in place. Look, I, I, I don't have inside information, but my guess is that the whole defunding movement, the whole pandemic put the brakes on a lot of initiatives that were, were going forward. Um, so I'm still hopeful those still will go forward. You know, I, I am. I wish we could defund some of these people that recommend defunding, you know? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Yeah, I have a feeling like to defund the police is just a big scam to get uh, the federal government to get, you know, pay for your police, basically. Right. You know, they see these state troopers driving around on the, on the highway or sitting there. Wait, what are those guys doing? Why don't, why don't we just have those guys? They're here every day anyway. Yeah. You know, we don't need so many cops, but those guys. And a lot of state, smaller cities are doing that. And um, for Absolutely. example... The money that's going to come to be rebuild New York, if it ever comes right now. Yeah. You go upstate, you go upstate, you know, a lot of small cities, small towns, the state trooper is it. Yeah. But, you know, and he's also, he's also alone. You know, he's sitting yeah, on the highway three o'clock in the morning. That, that was their job up there. Yeah. You know? But uh, down here and it, uh, cities all over the country, these big cities, they're looking to free up that, uh, that budget money. They're trying to figure out ways to, you you know, be resourceful with it. Yeah. And one of them is if, uh, like, for example, if, if, if they're going to give money to rebuild New York, they're going to give uh -huh. it, they're not going to give it so you waste it. It's going to come earmarked just for the police. That you got to hire a certain amount of police that they have to be trained a certain amount of time. Yeah. So now what happened? The federal government just flipped the bill for your police department or a quarter of it anyway. You know? Yeah. Well, so, that's how we got a lot of... Um, toys after 9-11 was the, the federal money you sure. know that they, they got those harbor boats those little things that are that tremendous right. computers and uh, you know it was all federal money it was all that terrorism money yeah but then yeah. they you know, also they were giving those same boats to wyoming they didn't even have a river they didn't need you know? <laughs> it's like if they're giving that money to new york we wanted right. to you know but yeah it, there's always that uh the me too it's hard to avoid that you know, it's hard to avoid yeah, like it is. the six hundred dollars that we were all every well not me but everybody else seemed to be getting along with their unemployment. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Most the most people were making more money to stay home than they were making at work. So now you're trying to get these people That's to come right. back to work, and they're like, oh, "Why? I was I'm making just as much to stay home yeah. or more." Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm wondering when is it going to come to a point where we start they start rating. Um, jobs that come over the radio as far as the response so you know just to continue formally, formally or informally maybe formally because it's gonna it's gonna depend on how the job the outcome of the job like for example yeah. if you were going to go on a job 
and you saw that the, the, the rating of the job was escalating as you went along, then you'd also have to compare that to how important is it that we actually get this person. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. then you could call them off like a car chase in a way. Exactly like a car chase, but now we're talking about different things. Right. It's not a shooting. It's not a stabbing. Maybe it's a sexual assault. Do you know what I'm saying? The guy's barricaded in his house. Well, do we really need to get him right now? Do you know what I'm saying? You know, something along the lines of what they did with bail reform. You know, they looked at it, they rated it and said, okay, for these crimes, you leave. You don't, yeah, don't that bail reform goes way too far, man. Of course. You know, there's nobody staying, really. But you know, Mark, what you're talking about, they actually did that uh, in another state. A guy actually was shooting at the police and they were waiting on him for like 24, 40, and, and they just decided to leave. Mm. They left. And this mm -hmm. guy had shot at them. I mean, I guess their philosophy was, oh, we'll get them on another day, but not for that, you know? Yeah. But that's where it's coming to, you know? Oh, well, well, you have to be able to pick um, how much of a danger that person is to, let's say, to the community or to his family. Yeah. So well, as opposed to, to shoot at the police, you're basically willing to do anything. Well, but you said, but what they would have to say was, well, he's just shooting at the police. He's not shooting at other people. So <laughs> yeah. if yeah. you just get the police out of here, everything will be fine. That's their reasoning. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know? Reasoning. I don't know. Uh, um, Doc, what would you tell, say you had a family member that wanted to come on the NYPD? What would you tell them right now? I would want them to really fully have their eyes open not have the unicorns and rainbow vision of what it's like, you know, Oh, dad was a cop and my uncle was a cop. And my grandfather, you know, that, that they really know. And, and I think they should spend some time. I think they should really spend some time talking to other cops um, to get a sense. I, I also truly believe, and it's probably because I'm old as dirt and I've seen it happen where the, the pendulum swings, you know, right now it's out here somewhere. It's in, it's in La La Land. I'm confident it's going to come back to normal. I just don't think yeah. it's going to be as quick as I would have liked it to or as quick as it has in the past. Um, but, but I would just want them to have realistic, realistic perspective of what's really involved. Yeah. You're, a, you're a, psychologist, a psychologist. Is it safe to say that anybody who would want to be a cop right now is insane? No. <laughs> <laughs> Like you should actually sit him down on the couch <laughs> and get evaluated. Come on, sit down. Right. What happened? What went wrong? Why would you want to do this to yourself? You know, it's like I the only because expression you say that would come full circle. It's like the expression when they say the definition of a conservative is, is a liberal that just got monked. You know, <laughs> yeah. now your ideas change. Right. Once right. you become the victim of a crime, that's right. That's you're right. Like, oh shit, I didn't know that that's what it was like, you know. That's right. And we see that. We see, you know somebody getting pulled out of their car. Where's the cops? Call the cops. Why? Yeah. You know? Right, uh, exactly. You didn't want them here before. No one else is coming, as they say, you know? Yeah. You I mean, you, who else is coming? Do you have a private practice on the side? I do. That's what I'm, my private practice, like I said, is probably 80 to 90% law enforcement and, okay. fa and their families. So basically you work for, you're doing the work for the police department for the parking plaque. I don't get a plaque. <laughs> get out of here. No way. You don't get a plaque. No, I'm not I'm not I'm not affiliated with the department in that way. You could get a plaque. <laughs> you, you used to be able to get a plaque. <laughs> so, we have people that call us yeah. and want us to refer them to you. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. As long as they're law enforcement, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, because sometimes we get people that actually they contact us and mm -hmm. they say, Oh, could we could you, uh, you know, give us the number of that person you had on your show? And I don't want you to be inundated with, you know, No, no, that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. I, not a plaque, but I, I, I'm just thinking, I was offered a light package. And, <laughs> and, I, and I said no, because I'm too immature. There's no way I could control myself. You'd be up, you'd be buffing out trying to get that pizza. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but if you, got the, know me. if you got the light package, you'd have to get a plaque. <laughs> I'm not buying the no plaque. You guys get the good plaques too. You get the the, the laminated ones, man. The, the department surgeons. They, you know, I, I am a uh, the state trooper surgeon. I got a plaque for that. 
Oh, okay. Uh, state that works. Oh, uh, you see? No upstate, upstate, it really works. He doesn't, he doesn't need no measly NYPD plaque. <laughs> He's got the state trooper one. The, the important thing, Doc, is do you have the, the, the state-sanctioned easy pass so you don't have to pay that no. bucks no. to get off to Staten Island? Actually, no. no one pays to go on Staten Island. It's free. Right. They want all the people to come on there as possible. It's to get the fuck off. To get Staten off, right? <laughs> If I had if I had that easy pass, I would just keep going back and forth over the Staten Island, <laughs> and that's how I would prove that I'm crazy, I, that I have PAT, PTSD. Just driving back, back and forth a hundred times over his tour. What's the matter with this guy? You know, one time I got in the wrong lane, and it directed, me, yeah. and I didn't want to go on Staten Island. And if I if I went I went to the toll, it was twenty bucks, so I had to make one of those illegal turns. I, I took the risk. I didn't want to pay that twenty bucks, you know. Sure. So I turn around and go back up. Forget about it. Yeah, yeah, they got you there, man. They got you. And then the other bridges, too, you know, the Outer Bridge or the Gothels or the, the Bayonne. What percentage of males in Staten Island are named Tony? <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I was actually, actually, half. Half. The other half are named Anthony. <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> and the girls are all Tina or. Uh... <laughs> No, it's, it's, you know, it's nice because it's still, we still have streets that don't have sidewalks. We still have backyards where you're allowed to have a horse, you know, so it is still behind the rest of. You can have a horse in your backyard? Yeah, we're zoned, a lot of areas are zoned where you can have a horse. Yeah, but. We have, we have a huge. Who has the horse though? I mean, just because you have a horse doesn't mean you can have a horse doesn't mean you're going to have a horse. Well, they do. They, they have a horse and they ride in Clove Lakes Park or, oh, you know. Really? I'll take it out. But we have a huge deer population. It's actually a problem. Oh, Tony. <laughs> got that thing because my horse, he's got it something in the hoof. He's got the he's got the thing in the hoof. <laughs> I used to I used to say that about highway cops too. There'd be like six of them fucking in a circle at a detail, and I'd go, hey Tony! And everybody would go to the get some hate mail now. I love the times. Please. I love Me the times. My favorite so, food. So my best friends are Italian. <laughs> how long is a session, uh, like a regular like session? Is it really forty-five minutes or an hour? You know, right now I'm doing video. I'm, I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. um, I just opened my office up two days a week um, for in person, but most people are preferring this. Believe it or not. Oh, really? Um, they'd rather do this. It's it's easier. They're in, in the kitchen having a cup of coffee. They're laying in bed, however they want. You know, it's fine. So. That I'm sticking with this for now. Um, it's scheduled for 45 minutes, but um, you know, at least five minutes of it is um, you know scheduling the next session, checking up how the last one. So between 35 and 40 minutes. So you're not like an attorney who's doing billable hours. No, I'm not hitting that chess clock every time you call. <laughs> uh, That's pretty. There's no alarm clock that goes off. No. He hits the button like he's playing chess. You know? Right. That's what they do. Lawyer, I, I know lawyers who do that. Yeah. As soon as the phone rings, they hit it. <laughs> oh, really? Is that what they do? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. One time, uh, there was this real expensive lawyer. My wife works for um, a prominent guy. And this attorney who was charging him 900-something an hour. Oh. And she had left a message on our office machine. We will not be around this weekend of through these dates, please don't call. So he called and she ripped into him. I, wow. I thought it was so great. She goes, which part of do not call don't you understand? Because she could hear the clock ticking and there's $900 an hour. She goes, don't even try to charge. Wow. He was told not to call. I was like, oh, that was beautiful, man. Well, I would love to see his arrogant face, you know? <laughs> one thing with working with cops, if you're going to work with cops, you have to understand that they're going to miss appointments and you can't take it personally. They get called for a detail or they get, you know, something happens. All right, I got paperwork to do, go ahead. Um, and in the 40 year, over 40 years, 42 years I'm doing this, I've never turned my practice over and said, I'm on vacation, talk to so-and-so. Every one of my cops know 24 seven, call me. 24 seven, I don't care if it's three in the morning, call me. You're a so, good man, Dr. Washko. No, it's, look, it, it's a way to give back. I wouldn't have anything I have if Plus, you guys didn't do what you did. 
Have you ever been on vacation, like, or, or teeing off, and all of a sudden some crazy cop, <laughs> off-duty cop, comes running up? Hey, Doc! What was that movie? Uh... Yeah. What was that movie? Or Robert what? De Niro and. Uh... Yeah. Well, that's that's um that's one of them, but the other one is what about on vacation? What about Bob? I think. Yeah. What about Bob? Yeah. What about Bob? When he goes on vacation. Yeah. No, you know something. What I find is that when most people know they can get you 24 seven, uh-huh. they don't bother. Just knowing that they can. Uh-huh. You know, just knowing that yeah, they can. Somebody, somebody gave me a card once at a party. Yeah. And, you know, uh, they knew I was a cop and I was a comedian. So, you know, he's looking, I'm looking at the card. So I was like, so you mean I could call you 24 hours a day? <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen this guy's eyes <laughs> lit up. What? I was like, I'm only messing with you, man. I'm not going to call you. Don't worry about it. The car's going in the shredder as soon as I get out of here. <laughs> I hear you. You've been a great guest, Doc. Um, I just want to, uh, anything else you can think of, a Bill, that we need to know? You know, I, 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 I'm glad to see that, you know, the whole um, sort of disposition of the department uh, vis-a-vis mental health has changed. Yeah. And they're really, I believe the department and also the unions and the line organizations, they're really serious about doing something about it because uh, suicide's a horrible, horrible thing, you know, and it's never been more difficult to be a cop than it is. That's right. And I'm really... Um, so happy to know you, Dr. Washko. And Thank you. No. What a great Thank man you are no. to give your time and, of course, your skill to this, uh, you know, to this profession. And hey, just so you know, the, uh, the suicide training that I do is available to any law enforcement member. Um, no charge. I, never, I don't make a dime on it. My, my operating budget is zero. My donations, it's zero. It's just what we do. So just so you know, if anyone asks, that's, that's available. What, you know, you, know, you mentioned our training. You bring up the Zoom and how you've been doing a lot of it now, which brings up this question. I mean, I know your, you know, your focus is on Staten Island because that's where you live. But now with Zoom, you could pretty much go anywhere in the NYPD. I, I've been, I've been doing, um, what is it, Brothers Before Others? Before the pandemic in Jersey, we were doing a lot of trainings for them, um, active and retired. But with there's a little bit of a licensing issue. I'm licensed in Jersey, um, but you really need to be licensed where the person is. Like if you were in, in Kansas, I should be licensed in Kansas to deliver that service. Right. Um, so I limited to, to, to not York. help somebody like on vacation. You could, if, under certain circumstances, you absolutely could. Like if I'm on vacation and I'm annoying you, you could be like, listen, I'd like to help you out, but I'm not licensed. I, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> we want to get back to Staten Island. Right. I know exactly what you need, but I can't do it right now. It's, yeah. against, it's against the law. My Hippocratic oath. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, any part, what do you think, Bill? I, Doc, I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. You're, uh, you're an amazing man. And it's, I feel a little more at ease that the NYPD has a guy like you that's helping to you know, treat people and their mental, uh, mental health issues. Thank you. Doc, you got anything you want to plug? You got you, you um No, just just the training. Just the it's called Conquer. C O N Q U E R. Capital C O N Capital Q U E Capital R. Connect, question, respond. It's to make the partner ready, willing, and able to step in when he sees something or she sees something with her partner. Well, that's pretty not that not that typical push of reach out, call me, you know, not, not, are you okay? It's none of, none of that. It's, it's being ready, willing, and able to step in when you see something and you'll do it because you're trained, you know what to do. Look in 42 years, I've hospitalized two people. It's not about putting someone in the hospital. What was it? Uh, left hook or right? Yeah. <laughs> Good timing. You know what I wanted to ask one more question, doctor. Yeah. Are you all right now with having never been chosen in a punch ball game? Have you gotten over that? No. Never? No. <laughs> so that's your personal PTSD. That's it. I got to live never with it. Never chosen in a punch ball game. I got to live. But there was one time where I was, and I, I hit it. It went over the fence. And everyone was like, and then they picked me again, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> it was like a one shot. 
You know what's the worst thing about all of that was always yeah. being the last one picked. Yeah. Like for example, so we used to take the bat and you toss it up and then you would do that thing on oh. top of the bat all the way till it gets to the top. So I'd I'd be first pick, I'd go to Bill. <laughs> and, then, and then you'd be the other coach and then you'd pick somebody else. And it was it was the same thing every day, right, three right. times a day, with the same person getting picked last <laughs> all the time, you know? <laughs> but we had to deal with it. Yeah. yeah it was, we learned we learned to see. Look, the problem is people have a hard time sitting with discomfort. We learn to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. Today, they want to get rid of discomfort, either through alcohol, drugs, spending, eating, whatever. They can't be uncomfortable. Comfort, comfort is the, the killer of, of, of ideas. It's a killer yeah. of strength. It's Absolutely. the killer of uh, you know, inhibition. Every, every yeah. Comfort, once you're comfortable, everything dies. Everything well, happens. Your like body works better. Both of us are comics. And for every comic, yeah. you have to bomb. If you don't bomb, you'll never learn that you're not the greatest thing since yeah. sliced bread. You got to mark. You bombed before, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I bombed in front of two thousand people. <laughs> I, I had a chief of service in the hospital who called me into his office one day and said, "I just want to let you know you're going to fail." I was like, "No, not me." He goes, "Yeah, you're going to fail." And he was right. You know, he just wanted to get me prepared that that's life. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Failure is a failure is yeah. a big, big part of it right now. And we go back to that thing about, uh, you know, if you're out there and you're on patrol and you're a fan of the show, um, and you're in Staten Island, or now that we're doing the Zoom, you know, and you, you want to talk to somebody, don't forget to conquer and don't forget uh, Dr. Stephen Walkshaw, and um, you know, look him up. And uh, reach out to somebody. If you're working with somebody too, I always tell people, if you're working about somebody and they popped in your head and you worry about them, don't just think about them. Give them a call, send them a text, engage them. You can take them away from that moment. You know, you can take them, uh, they can think of something else briefly, you know, because like you said, a lot of this is, uh, you know, spontaneity, you know, uh, idle hands, just sitting there thinking about the same shit over and over and over again, yeah. you know? Doc, I know this guy, Mark DeMeo. <laughs> <laughs> you have insurance, huh? That's <laughs> funny. He's got, <laughs> He's got lots of issues. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, I mean, really. just like the cops have to hear all the time about, um, you know, what kind of, you know, did you ever shoot anybody? As soon as you tell somebody that you're, you're a psychologist, they, they, all, all of a sudden they got to be like, oh, have I got stories for you? Yeah. Or, they, or they're saying, are you analyzing me? It's like yeah. I never learned that. In, we never took analyze class. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know? uh -huh. Crazy. <laughs> but the New Yorker, can, you can tell if somebody's bullshitting, you know, right? Yeah, this Usually, guy's bullshit, yeah. right? We got a good bullshit detector. <laughs> Somebody starts talking two seconds later. Yeah, this guy's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doc, man. Thank you. All right. Good night. Thank, Thank you, you again. So much. Thank you. All the best to you. God bless you. And you're doing Thank God's work there, man. Thank you so Thank much. You. you too. Bye.